Noel, let's go ahead and throw up that slide. In case you can't read it, it says, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, see me after class. Your book reports are surprisingly similar. <laughs> Those are the first three gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they tell the same story, but they're actually not always that similar. Like they're each written with a different purpose from a different perspective. Let me read this to you from Matthew's gospel. This is how Matthew tells the story. He says, early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I've told you. And the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. They ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as always, as we hear the scriptures read and the gospel proclaimed, pray that you'd open our minds and our eyes and our ears and our hearts that we could receive it. And that when we leave here today, that when we go from this place, that you would use our hands and our feet our mouths, every part of who we are. Because now that he is risen, everything has changed. So guide us this morning and moving forward, we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So what I just read from Matthew's gospel, that's the familiar version, right? You got the empty tomb, the angel explains what happened, Jesus himself appears to the disciples, but like I said, all the gospels tell the same story, but they're not always telling it in the same way. They tell the story for different reasons. In a few minutes, I'm gonna read the story to you again, but this time from another perspective. This one is told in a really unique way and for a really surprising reason. So in a minute, I'm gonna show you how the Gospel of Mark tells the story, but before I do, I need to give you a heads up. The way Mark ends the story, it's beautifully and surprisingly weird. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. So I want you to grab a Bible. It's okay, Presbyterians. You can grab a Bible. <laughs> if you're pulling a Bible out of your pew, you're gonna open to Mark 16. It's on page 1519. For good Presbyterians, it's Reformation Day. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but 1519, if you're using your own Bible, you're on your own, you gotta find it yourself. As you're turning today, uh, it's the final sermon in a series through the Gospel of Mark that we started all the way back in September. And today what we're gonna see is not only the reason that Mark wrote his Gospel, but we're gonna see that he used a really sophisticated method inspired by the Holy Spirit to not only tell us the story, but to actually invite us into it. But, to explain that, I need to show you something that every modern Bible translation points out. It's right there in your hands. 
Mark 16, are you there? You made it? No? <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to keep going. You'll find it. Um, look at verse 8, which actually in your pew Bibles is on the next page. It's on page 1520, sorry. Mark 16, verse 8. It says something like, the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Okay, now we're gonna get to that in just a minute, but what I want you to look at is what comes next. In most modern versions, what comes next is a sentence with no verse number, and it's labeled the shorter ending. And then there's something called the longer ending, which is verses nine through 20. Now for both of those, most modern translation will tell you this, sometimes in footnotes, but usually right there in the middle of the page. And it'll say something like this, the most ancient manuscripts of Mark end in verse 16, eight. Later manuscripts add one or both of the following endings. And then you get the shorter and longer ending. Now in Bible translation, the goal is to continually work on our modern versions to get them as close as we can to the original, to exactly what Mark wrote inspired by the Spirit, so that they reflect in language and in meaning the original text, which again was breathed by the Holy Spirit but composed by human hands. Now for some people, when you see a note like this, maybe you get a little bit nervous. I just wanna tell you, when I see a note like this, I gain even more confidence in the scriptures because it reminds me that there are faithful people doing the really hard work to ensure that what we have is accurate and true. Now, having said all that, what you need to know is that everything in that shorter and longer ending, it comes either from the scripture itself or the earliest writings of the first Christians. Almost every line in those two endings comes either from the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, or the book of Acts those shorter and longer endings, everything that comes after verse eight, it's not only consistent with scripture, it's direct, directly quoting scripture in one way or another. The reason those verses are there are to show us that the first Christians understood what happened after verse eight. They knew that obviously the women did eventually go and tell the others, right? They overcame their paralyzing fear and they followed through on that angel's instructions. The others, the disciples, eventually they got their act together too and they responded. Jesus did appear to them. He appeared to over 500 people over the next 40 days. They received the Holy Spirit. They followed the resurrected Christ to the ends of the earth, making disciples of all nations. They knew that that's what happened. We today know that's what happened. How do we know that? Because we're here. <laughs> Y'all, if the women stay quiet and afraid, the movement ends. If Jesus never appears to his disciples, the movement ends. If the Holy Spirit never descends and empowers them, the movement ends. If none of that happened, we wouldn't be here today. Like, do you know how many people claimed to be the Messiah around the time of Jesus? How many people gathered a following some of them imprisoned, even killed, some even crucified. Do you know how many? As far, as far as scholars know, there were dozens. Does that surprise you? See, the reason you've never heard of them is because as soon as a messianic figure was imprisoned or killed, their movement died with them because they failed. But the Jesus movement was different. 
Like somehow the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it spread throughout the world to become the largest single faith tradition in human history, crossing all cultures, all languages, all barriers because of three simple words. He is risen. Those shorter and longer endings in Mark, they're not there to change anything. They're there to show us how the early church read and acted on the way Mark ended his gospel. How they answered the question, now that you're standing at the empty tomb, what are you gonna do? And now we're getting to the point. You see, I am convinced, and this is the majority opinion for biblical scholars and theologians, that Mark intended to end his gospel with verse eight. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the author meant to leave us on the edge, to leave us hanging, to wonder what happened next. The question is why? That's what I wanna show you. The ending of Mark's gospel, honestly, it's my favorite. It's the reason Mark's gospel is my favorite because it's like one of those big reveals. Have any of you ever seen an M. Night Shyamalan movie like back when they were good and they had big surprise endings? If not, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Have you ever read a good book that had like a big twist that you never saw coming? Okay, hopefully you've read some books. Okay, great. That's what's happening. That's what's happening in Mark 16. So let me show you. There's a twist, a turn that that the reader, you, you just never saw it coming. So Mark tells the story this way. He says, when Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus's body. And very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, but he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Okay, now just so you know that I'm not reading too much into this or making a bigger deal of it than it is, I wanna share with you the work of a New Testament scholar named Eugene Boring. A New Testament scholar named Eugene Boring. Like I'm telling you, this dude does not make things up just to get people excited, okay? Like, it's in his name. So I'm paraphrasing, this is a little long, but hang with me because again, there's, just a, there's a turn in the story that you're not gonna see coming. Um, so he says this, he says, this ending is not the end of the gospel. It's only the beginning. However, we do need to deal with the reality that within the narrative as it's told, the story ends on a disturbing note. Jesus has been rejected not only by his family, the religious leaders and the crowds, but he's been abandoned by the disciples he personally called. These women are the last hope that someone within the narrative will continue on as his faithful follower. But instead, what do they do? They run, filled with terror and confusion. They say nothing to anyone because they're afraid. At this point, no one in the story who has been with Jesus is willing to carry on his message or continue his mission. Okay, now listen, I am convinced that that realization, 
It brings us to the deeper question Mark's gospel has been setting up all the way since the beginning. For 15 chapters, Mark has been leading us to one final question. If no one within the narrative will continue on, if no one in the story will continue the mission, is there anyone else who will? Is there anyone else who will be a faithful disciple of Jesus, who will carry him, who will follow him and carry his gospel to the ends of the earth? And here's the twist we've been waiting for. Dr. Boring says this, he says, what you may not realize is that the whole time there's been a non-participant observer who has been with Jesus in every scene. The author has permitted the reader to be with Jesus the entire time from beginning to end. The reader is the one who heard God's voice declaring that Jesus is his only son. Nobody else in the story heard that. The reader was present with Jesus in the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan. Nobody else was there. When family rejected him, the reader persisted. When religious leaders, crowds, and disciples misunderstood and abandoned Jesus, the reader stood by his side. When the inner circle of disciples went to sleep in the garden, the reader stayed awake and we heard Jesus' anguished prayer. When the disciples fled and were absent at the cross, the reader was present. When Jesus cried out to God in abandonment, the reader was still there. And now the reader stands on the brink of an incomplete story in which everyone around Jesus has failed. And I'm telling you, it took incredible restraint. The inspiration of the Holy Spirit to break off the story and end it right there and leave you, the reader, hanging on the edge. But I'm telling you, that's the point of the gospel. Because once you've read it and you've come to this place, you may have thought that this was a story about somebody else. But now you see in the end that the camera has turned and it's focused directly on you. You, you are the non-participant observer who has been with Jesus the whole time. And the gospel writer is saying that now you have a decision to make. It's you standing there at the entrance of that empty tomb. What will you do? You can be the answer to the question, is there anyone who will go and tell the world what's happened? Mark's gospel was written with future generations in mind. I'm telling you, Mark's gospel was written with you in mind. I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty good twist. It's a pretty good turn in the story. So the question now is, so what? We ask this question here every single week. We like to get really practical about the scriptures we read, and we ask the simple question, so what? Well, let me share this with you. Around the same time that Mark's gospel was written, the apostle Paul was also writing, and he wrote to a church in a city called Corinth. And he writes to some people who were wrestling with how they were gonna deal with and how they were gonna respond to the resurrection. So he writes this, this is from 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. And then he goes on to say this in verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless 
and you are still guilty of your sins. But then in verse 20, the Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the firstborn of those who have fallen asleep. Now I'm telling you, our entire faith is centered around this one event. It is all about the resurrection. The singular moment in human history when everything changed as if the world began to spin in the opposite direction. What you just heard, this is the gospel we proclaim here every single week and this is why we have hope. The question today and for every day is do you believe it? Do you truly trust that this is not just a story but that the story is true? Do you have enough evidence to make a decision to trust and follow him in this life with your whole life, to carry his gospel of grace with you everywhere you go in both word and deed. Do you have that hope? If you do, then so what? What will you go and do about it? It's all about the resurrection and how you choose to respond to it. Y'all, if the story is true, if Christ has truly risen from the dead, then everything has changed. Reality has changed. Nothing can ever be the same again. You can never be the same again once you accept that truth. Tim Keller he's a, was a pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City. He wrote a book called Jesus the King that we've been using here throughout the series. But he put it like this. He says, when we think this broken world is the only one that we're ever gonna have, then it's really easy to believe that this money is the only wealth that we're ever gonna have. It's really easy to believe that this body is the only body that we're ever gonna have. But if Jesus is risen, then your future is so much more beautiful and so much more certain than the rising and falling value of money and the slow degradation of your broken body. If he is risen, everything has changed. So let me quickly just show you one simple way that this plays out for us in this life. Genesis one and two tells us that we were made to live in four relationships. A relationship with God, relationship with others, relationship with ourselves, and a relationship with all creation. God intended for those relationships to thrive, for us to have peace and wholeness. But the story goes on to tell us that sin, the evil in and around us, that's the reason that these relationships don't work anymore. That's the story of Genesis 3. The gospel tells us that Christ has paid the price for our sin, that he's defeated evil, that his resurrection is the death of death. And now the world is spinning in the opposite direction. That means these relationships can finally start to work again. Like we can learn to have thriving relationships, to find peace with God, with each other, with ourselves, and with all creation. Now all of that will one day be brought to completion. It'll be made perfect. But until then, a people of the resurrection are a people who strive for peace and wholeness in these relationships, even now. Like if the gospel restores my broken relationship with God now and forever, then it can restore my broken relationship with you now can restore my broken relationship with me now. It can restore our broken relationship with the world around us, with creation itself, now and forever. 
I'm telling you, if Christ has risen, everything has changed. So standing at the entrance of that empty tomb, what will you do? Will you be a person who models and carries the message of Christ? Will you offer and receive forgiveness? Will you treat others with mercy and love? Will you remember that if Christ died for a sinner like you, then he died for the sinner across from you too? And when you realize that, can you just offer them a little grace? Especially those who don't look, think, or act anything like you. What will you do? I want to end by showing you, this is from one of my favorite Bibles. It's actually not a Bible. It's a children's Bible. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, if you've never read the actual Bible for yourself, I really want to encourage you to grab a copy of this right away. Um, if you're nervous about that, there's a version for adults called The Story of God's Love for You. Same exact book, just without the pictures so your friends and coworkers won't know you're actually reading a children's Bible. I mean, brilliant marketing, right? <laughs> really well done. But the story is brilliant. Deep theology, somebody who knows the original languages worked on this, solid biblical interpretation. It's just done in a way that speaks to people of all ages. I wanna show you how she ends this greatest story ever told and she paraphrases the Gospel of John chapter one. She says, for anyone who says yes to Jesus, for anyone who believes what Jesus said, for anyone who will just reach out and take it, then God will give them this wonderful gift to be born into a whole new life, now and forever. To be who they really are, who God always made them to be, their true selves, God's dear child. And then she ends with these words. She says, because you see the most wonderful thing about God's story is that it's your story too. Y'all, God has not only offered us salvation, he's invited us into his story to carry his story forward, to literally be a part of moving history forward. Like what a beautiful and surprising twist in the narrative. So what will you do? Will you just celebrate the resurrection on this Easter Sunday? Or will you live into the resurrection every day? Will you allow Jesus to make your world begin to spin in the opposite direction, to turn your world upside down here and now, even as we wait for life with him forever? Will you just accept the truth that you are loved by God and God's greatest desire is to simply bring you home? Like, do you know that? Will you accept it? And if you accept that gift, if you accept that truth, then will you be courageous enough, will you be brave enough to not run away silent and afraid, but to stand and tell somebody who's lost and lonely that they don't have to live lost and lonely anymore? To tell them that no matter how the world around them makes them feel that they are deeply loved. To not only tell them that God deeply loves them, but to show them by loving them yourselves. What will you do? For the next seven weeks, every Sunday and during my Wednesday night class, we're gonna read and discuss Jesus's resurrection appearances to his disciples. If you're not local, all of that's online. My Wednesday night class is online, it's on Zoom. We call it Chad's late night BS. <laughs> you should join us. But listen, if you're curious, even skeptical, 
then just join us for the next few weeks. Let's work through it together. Listen to eyewitness account one after the other and then decide for yourself. Y'all, in his amazing grace, God invites us to wrestle with him. When God names his people Israel, do you know what the name means? It means wrestles with God. He could have named his people anything he wanted, but he chose to name his people wrestles with God because he knows that's exactly what it's gonna take for limited people like us to understand, to understand the God of the universe. We're gonna have to wrestle, so just let's do it together. I just wanna invite you to wrestle with him, with us. Join us, do that in a community that we're not perfect, but I'm telling you, we're at least trying to love God and we're trying to love our neighbor. We're trying to love our enemies well because that's the only right response to God's grace and mercy and love for us. Amen? Let's pray. We're so thankful that for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that those who believe in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. We're grateful for what follows to know that God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that through the world, through him, the world might be saved. So Father, help those of us in the room right now to receive and own that truth. To not just make that a part of our story, but to make our lives a part of yours. In a way that when we leave here, we can't run out of here scared and afraid, unwilling to speak, unwilling to serve, unwilling to act, but that we couldn't help ourselves. That when we see someone in need, we can't help ourselves but serve. When we see the poor, the hungry, the naked, the prisoner, we can't help but feel empathy and compassion and do something about it. Help us to be a people who will tell the world that they are deeply and dearly loved. All they gotta do is turn to you. So guide us, keep us, give us courage and strength. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.